Welcome back, folks. It's Jason, Josh from Factor Fantasy. It's Jason, I'm Josh, and we are here to give you part one of the Lord of the Rings and the Two Towers a day. We're going to be tackling chapter two through chapter six. You guys remember two weeks ago we left off with the novel. Uh, we added the first chapter of the Two Towers to the very end of the Fellowship of the Ring, just so that way it matched up with the movie, the part two of the extended edition of the movie where it included Boromir's Last Stand. You know, if you guys remember in the novel, it didn't include that until the first chapter. So we just kind of melded that together. And so today we're going to really go into the next part of the two towers. Like I said, you know, chapters two through chapter six. There's a lot of cool things that happen in these chapters. I'm excited to kind of get through it and tackle like the, the key events that take place. I will say you're going to have some more of that, uh, uh, you know, lull in events. <laughs> There's a couple chapters that are a little bit longer that just are very, very detailed and not the craziest amount of action, but there is some really cool details and some things I picked up that I either forgot about or just overlooked the last time I read this series. So excited to touch on that today. And before we jump into it, I'll go ahead and let Jay say a few words and then we'll get to it. Yeah, man. The, uh, in the words of Johnny Cash, and that train keeps rolling <laughs> and we just keep on going and up and up, man. This is, I guess, you know, this is the... What's that little song they always say on little short clips? Into the thick of it. Into the thick of it. <laughs> That's exactly where we're going. So, uh, yeah, and it's uh, really interesting the way it's played out versus the film, which we'll get into that towards the end of uh, the end of this kind of section of the series. But, yeah, man, let's go ahead and just dive straight into it. There's a lot of stuff that occurs here, a lot of... Uh, detail, I would say. It's really detailed starting uh, starting off here, but um, let's go ahead and kick it off, man. I'll let you kick us off today. Sounds good. And, you know, before I do that, just to kind of give you an idea, you know, Chase mentioned it like in a couple sections where we're talking about how it splits up. It's going to be a little bit different than what we did with Fellowship of the Ring between the novels and the films, just because it doesn't like end nicely in either way. Like, the, the films jump around as opposed to the chapters. For example, like the big battle of Helm's Deep happens way later in the films and happens pretty early on in the books. So we can't have like a part one, part two sort of like, um, you know, halfway point like we did with the Fellowship of the Ring. So what we're going to end up doing is we're actually going to tackle like five chapters at a time through the novel, go all the way through the novel first. Then we're going to do differences part one of the film and then a separate differences part two for the film because as you guys know these extended editions are almost four hours long each so there's no way we could fit a differences all in one podcast episode so that's going to be like the main key difference of how we're going to tackle the two towers versus how we did fellowship of the ring but you're absolutely right my brother let's go ahead and get started we're going to do a little mouse in the chalice here and then we're going to kind of tackle uh, take away with the first uh, chapter we're going to tackle today which is chapter two i believe if i'm not mistaken that is the uh, riders of rohan and uh, yeah, I'm gonna kind of take away the big bullet points that I had on my end, and then I'll go ahead and turn it over for you, and we'll just kind of go from there on out. The uh, the very first thing, guys, that I just notated that was important where you're following along with this chapter is, you know, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. They're they're giving chase to the orcs that took Merry and Pippin, and they're trying to stay on the proper track. So uh, we mentioned this a few times too with the different types of books that we have. The pages that I mentioned may be different than the pages you guys have just on editions and like paperback versus hardcover. So for me, this thing here at, uh, I'm gonna start at, at the top of page 16. Just wanna read like the very first, like not even the first paragraph, it's honestly just two sentences. This is Legolas speaking, he says, 
There is the eagle again. He is very high. He seems to be flying now away from this land back to the north. He is going with great speed. Look. And what I think that is, it's like a foreshadow. You know, there was a, some, there was a character that has, uh, you know, since fallen in the very early parts of the Fellowship of the Ring. And I think that it could potentially be a foreshadow of where that eagle is headed. Uh, coming with it's going to kind of finish us off today in the chapter that we close out with. Um, on top of that, too, the next thing I have, just on page 22 on mine, is just the last paragraph. I thought it was cool that the elves can rest their mind and dream, but still walk open-eyed in the waking world, too. Uh, that, that just like I know the elves are kind of chases thing here, but I, I thought it was a really cool ability. Just to give you an idea of what it says specifically, it says, uh, Only Legolas still stepped as light as ever, his feet hardly seeming to press the grass, leaving no footprints as passed. But in the way bread of the elves, he found all substance he needed, and he could sleep, if sleep could be what it was called by men, resting his mind in the strange paths of elvish dreams, even as he walked open-eyed in the light of this world. So it kind of gives you a weird like look at what elves are capable of and some of their abilities. I thought that was pretty cool. Next thing I have here is on page 24. Uh, how crazy his eyesight is. How about Legolas again? He sees the exact number of horsemen in the Rohirrim that are coming towards them from like five leagues away. He says that 105 counts them in total. Like then they're running at him at full speed in this in these horses, although they don't see them at first, so they don't know that Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli are there. But the fact that Legolas can like take a look and count the exact number to a person of how many are there within I don't know 20 seconds, thought that's pretty damn cool. Uh, now this is another thing that is very different from I know we're not really kind of tackling differences right now, just something that you might have forgotten about. But we know we talked about it. Uh, a few times during the Fellowship of the Ring about how the blade that was broken kind of comes into play super early in the novels and what we kind of remember it just because I think most of us have a lasting image of what happens in the films and how the sword that was broken becomes whole again how that comes back into play this right here on page 28 Aragorn shows a blade that was broken to Aomer and I thought that was a big moment because he's basically declaring who he is as a person and you know he's the rightful heir to Gondor and he's trying to earn the trust of the riders of Rohan here and so you know this is just another key difference obviously between the film and the, the novel that we'll talk about later on too but definitely something I wanted to bring up here as well just to kind of show that this this sword is almost like his ID card right it's like this is who I am like you know you know uh, so I thought that was pretty cool here uh, also, you know, Aragorn gives Elmer a small recap of their adventures without going into too much detail. Then on page 32, the second to last paragraph here, just wanted to read a few things. It says, there was a league between Orthanc and the Dark Tower, which is kind of foreshadowing the title of the book. So Orthanc is the name of the tower in Isengard, and the Dark Tower is obviously the, the big Dark Tower in Mordor. And that basically just foreshadows the alliance between them and, and that's exactly why the title of this book is called the two towers talking about Orthanc and the dark tower in Mordor so I thought that was kind of cool there and then just two more things real quick before I turn it over to Chase is that you know the debate to allow Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli to go forward was much more intense in the book like in in the film it happened pretty quickly yeah they had a little argument he said 
he said some words to Gimli. He said, you know, if your head were a few feet higher off the ground, I'd take it off. Something along those lines. But point being, they got over it pretty quickly. It was like a whole thing where the rest of the Rohirrim had to ride away, and we had to talk with them, and, and basically had to negotiate, like, well, you know, we should take you King Thaden. He's like, hey, we don't have time for that. He's like, well, how about I give you horses? And he's like, well, if we give you horses, I'll take it back. It was like a whole negotiation thing. Like, it took a lot longer in the book than it did in the film, and it kind of led to like a little suspense, like, are they going to be able to go freely from here? Because if it came down to it, that's there's three people, like Aragorn and Gimli, versus 105, and that's not very good odds for our guys. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then also in page 38, in the middle paragraph here, it talks about how Fangorn Forest is old, just as old as good old Tom Bombadil's forest. And it foreshadows what are called Ents. We'll figure out what they are here very, very soon, actually. And the way that this chapter ends, and last night I took away from it, and I thought was kind of important, is there's an old man that appears, and then the horses of Aragorn, Gimli, and Legos that they got from Aomer, they all end up like running off. They, they are like released from where they were there, and we don't know who this old man is. Like We have an idea it could be somebody, then we learn it could be somebody else. We're going to kind of figure out, you know, was this old man a good guy? Was he a bad guy? And that was the last kind of takeaway I had from that first chapter of the Riders of Rohan. So I'll turn it over to Chase to give his takeaways, and we'll go from there. Yeah, man. Uh... One thing I did want to read, it's not much, it's just the second and third paragraph of this one page. Just kind of a, uh, I like this incident on how Legolas is starting to defend Gimli a little bit. And this is right when, uh, you called him Aomer, is it? Aomer, yeah. Is it Aomer or Aomir? Aomer, I think. I thought it was Aomir, but it could be Aomer. I'm not the best at pronunciation. But this is like right when he shows up. I thought this was great interaction here. He goes, As for that, said the writer, staring down at the dwarf, the stranger should declare himself first. Yet I am named Eomer, son of Eomund, and I am called the third marshal of Rittermark. Then Eomer, son of Eomund, third marshal of Rittermark, let Gimli, the dwarf, glowing son, warn you against foolish words. You speak evil that which is fair beyond your reach of thought. You only little wit can excuse you. Eomer's eyes blazed, and the men of Rohan murmured angrily and closed in in advancing their spears. I would cut off your head, beard, and all, Master Dwarf, if it stood but a little higher from the ground, said Eomer. He stands not alone, said Legolas, bending his bow and fitting an arrow with hands and move quicker than sight. You would die before your sword fell. And I thought it was a badass moment right there. And uh, I think it's really cool because just like we were talking about with the fellowship, uh, one thing the book does well is it was talking about how they really became friends uh, really fairly quickly. Very quickly. Yeah, I agree. Like much quicker um, in the novel than so much the film and it, they did it at like such a high degree of, of level. Like they, they are like some of the closest friends. They're probably the closest out of the whole fellowship if you ask me. Um, maybe Mary and Pippin could give him a run, but Mary that's and Pippin. yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. But, but <laughs> the, the thing is, good. like the difference is they were they grew up together as friends. Where Legolas and Gimli, they're from two different factions that are supposed to hate each other. Like, dwarves and elves don't like each other, yeah. and like so, I think that's even more impressive. The fact that they became friends so quickly and their their bond is that strong. So I'm with you. It's impressive. It's good stuff, man. Um, and then one one thing I think is important here, Aomer said he looked through 
a body of dead dead bodies of orcs that they saw earlier and there were no hobbits uh, alluding to Merry and Pippin that Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli are currently searching for. Um, and another thing that I think is important is Eomer mentions that Gandalf used to visit Rohan and Theoden um, would not help Gandalf, who is the king there, and then Gandalf wound up taking Shadowfax. So Shadowfax uh, is the white horse. It's a white horse, right? Yep, it's That's there. Yeah, Shadowfax is a white horse, and he comes from like a very noble, uh, you know, significant line of steeds. He's like, there's no other equal horse to him on Middle Earth. Like he is the like king of horses basically so yeah that's for sure perfect and then uh aomer also says that they pick no sides and involves with uh saruman um that he doesn't pick any sides with saruman or the orcs or you know siding with aragorn's side there that they're with um but he does let them know that coming from the east and west including wolf riders are coming and saruman has claimed lordship over that land and he mentions that there is currently a battle in Weston Met that's occurring, and he fears that it's coming towards them. And that's an important moment because that foreshadows uh, big moments coming up, not this episode, but later on. Um, he does mention that they were scouting uh, three nights ago and beyond the East Wall. He saw orcs with badges of Saruman, and he encountered orcs and defeated them, but lost 15 men and 12 horses. So you can already see, uh, you know, just even from not saying they fought um, small amounts of armies or orcs, but you can already start to tell they really don't have the strength in numbers when it comes to the who they're fighting against. Um, but the orcs that they encountered bore the white hand of Isengard, is what he was saying. And uh, Aomer says he found a token of Merian Pippin that must have been hauled into the forest before the other orcs were slain. Um, and Aomer says he prepares for a battle of 100 verse 3 and asks if they can help. But Aragorn then tells him that, of course, they need to find the hobbits first. And Aomer, I did think this was big of him. Um, he decides that, of course, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli are, are free to go, and he actually gives them horses uh, to take with them. So I thought it was good. And, and as they're uh, getting to the forest, um, one little small detail here is they even, I thought this was wild. <laughs> it really was descriptive here, you know, Tolkien with his descriptions, but they f saw a severed goblin head speared in the middle with 50 spears stuck in the ground. I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, off to chapter three, man. Back to you. Cool. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention when you said they were preparing for a battle of a hundred against three, that was against Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn, thing, saying like they would hate to have to do that. So that was where like the hundred to three came against. Is that it could have gotten south for both quote unquote the good guys, right? I mean, we don't really know what like where Rohan stands. They even said they're kind of in the middle ground. They're not taking sides in this great war so far. But yeah, like that was them saying, like, yeah, it might get to the point where if we don't reach an agreement, it's a hundred against three, man. We don't like your chances there. So, um, <laughs> that that that's definitely something I want. Yeah, to not literally a hundred verse three. No, like no, literally hundred verse three. That's exactly oh. what. Oh, it was. okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's saying go. like yeah, like literally like all one hundred of my men and myself, 
we'll take all three of you on if we have to. If like we can't reach an agreement here, which would be unfortunate. That's what he was saying. So. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, yeah, yeah good call. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to make sure that we all understood that there. Uh, but yeah, you know, going on to chapter three, like the Urukai, there was just uh, there was a few things in here that I thought were interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, what this this chapter really was about, if I was gonna you know put in an all encompassing quick summary, is it was everything that happened from the time that Mary and Pippin were captured from Mary and Pippin's point of view. That's, that's exactly what this chapter was about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought this was pretty cool, though. One of the first things I have here on page 41 is that we learned that Mary has a little bit of uh, um, fight in him. He, he actually cut off a few of the orc's arms and hands. I thought that was pretty sick. You know, you, you never really... That doesn't get shown in the films at all. You know, he, they try to... You know, I'm not giving anything away, but obviously we've already talked about this because it happened in the Fellowship of the Ring and when it comes to the movie side of stuff when um, Boromir tried to save them that's when uh, they tried to like after he got shot with all those arrows Mary and Pippin tried to do their best to attack but the orcs just kind of pick him up where here in the book it says that Mary cut off a few arms and hands so I thought that was pretty cool um, I'm actually going to read this little part here because it's not one little flashback to our boy Boromir uh, at the very end of page 41 through the first paragraph on page 42. Basically what it does, it just recaps Boromir's fight. Uh, and this is more than what we get in the entire novel of the first book here, of The Fellowship of the Ring. We don't really see what happens. Aragorn just kind of finds Boromir after it's all done. This is kind of giving us a recap of what that battle looked like. It wasn't in depth as the way as like the film did it, which I appreciated the film side more when it came to Boromir's last stand. But I'm just going to go ahead and read what we got here. It says, Then Boromir had come leaping through the trees. He had made them fight. He slew many of them, and the rest fled. But they had not gone far on the way back when they were attacked again by a hundred orcs at least. Some of them were very large, and they shot a rain of arrows, always at Boromir. Boromir had blown his great horn till the woods rang, and at first the orcs had been dismayed and had drawn back. But when no answer came but the echoes, they'd attacked more fiercely than ever. Pippin did not remember much more. His last memory was of Boromir leaning against a tree, plucking out an arrow, then darkness fell suddenly. So that was like, you know, a quick little recap of his last stand there. Like I said, it doesn't go into the crazy detail. We don't get this, you know, get a nice visual that we did with the film, but still something I thought was important to, to talk about. Next thing I have here is on page 43. It really has three factions of orcs arguing. So there's like one faction of the orcs are from the mines of Moria. Another faction of the orcs are from Isengard, which were the ones that had like the white palm print on like their helms. Then the third faction were the ones from Mordor, and they were all kind of arguing amongst each other. And it actually leads, and it helps you know Merry and Pippin make their great escape in a way. Uh, it, it does it a little bit differently in the book than it does in the film, and I won't talk about that till differences much later on. But uh, I thought it was pretty cool how it, it came to be. So there's three different factions of orcs. We don't really get to see that uh, on screen. This is something that you know, this is you know very exclusive to the books. Um, then on page 44, one thing I, I notated I thought was super important. This is like the first sentence up here. Uh, I came across, said the evil voice, a winged Nazgul awaits us northward on the east bank. So we have like a little foreshadow of what a winged Nazgul is. And that's going to play a big role going forward through the remainder of the series. Because uh, it basically what it is without me giving it away, it's, it's uh, people uh, or um, 
creatures that we have seen before, but in a different fashion. So just going to kind of leave that there for where it is. And then the next thing we've got is, you know, Grishnok. He's the orc leader from Mordor. He tries to escape with Merry and Pippin, but not kill them. And so uh, what ended up happening is they ended up getting taken by the wayside, this party of orcs, by the Riders Rohan. And the way they did it was super strategic. Like they got in bow range and fired at the orcs and took a bunch of them out, but they stayed out there and kind of slowly made their way in and kind of circled them and almost very similar. If you guys remember the Battle of the Bastards with Game of Thrones on how like they had like the whole party uh, encircled before Sansa showed up with you know the Knights of the Vale and they had them all like, kind of pinned in with the spears and going forward. It almost seemed like that. They, they had one side enclosed with the... the, the Horsemen and, and the orcs were trying to flee. Some were going to go into Fangorn Forest, but the way they had they loped around, they weren't actually able to escape. They had them pinned in in like a big circle and ended up taking them all out. And that was I thought that was really cool how they decided to strategically, you know, affect that there. And I also thought it was really important too, is that even though they don't have what Chase would say like the numbers to fight against the big armies of Mordor. To have 105 that are left, so they started with 120, and then we already know that there were hundreds of orcs in that horde. They took out over 100 orcs and only lost 15 people. I honestly think that's pretty damn good, if you ask me. I don't think that's you know like a negative thing or like they they're not doing well. But again, that's only one horde of orcs. If you look at the grand scheme of things against the great armies of Mordor, and then if you have to add an Isengard to that as well, you can see how it gets a bit dicey. But I did think that that if we kind of go number by number, man to man, taking out you know whatever number amount of orcs were left in that big you know horde that had them between the three different factions, they only lost 15 people. Um, then I thought it was cool that Aelmer himself killed like the lead uh, Urukai from Isengard named Ugluck. He said it was like in sword to sword combat. Aelmer himself was the one that killed the main lead um, orc of the whole party. I thought that was pretty dope. Uh, but no news of the Orc Horde's fate ever reached Isengard or Mordor. And the reason why that's really cool is because that they never knew if the Orcs had the halflings in their possession or not. And I thought that was great because that they obviously Sauron knows that halflings are the ones that have the ring, but he doesn't know who it is. And that's you know, a big reason why Merry and Pippin were not killed is because these Orcs thought that they had some they don't obviously the orcs themselves don't know the full story but to Saruman and Sauron they know why they wanted to bring the hobbits there alive and so you know they knew there was something special about them uh, but the fact that the, the riders are on here killed all of them no one who's ever reached back to them which really kind of saved the mission as a whole because if anywhere did get back that they saved them I mean they, they could have attacked with full force they could have done xyz but just because they didn't know it was almost like ignorance was not so much a bliss but it didn't cause for a panic on any side um, when it comes to the bad guys. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And, you know, the big takeaway at the very end of this, outside of just having it all come from Merry and Pippin's point of view from the time they were captured to the time of their escape, is that they ended up actually escaping. And now, at the end of this chapter, they are in Fangorn Forest. And the issue with that is, like, there's a lot of dark rumors about Fangorn Forest, very similar to, like, the old forest uh, from way back in the very beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, you know about how how creepy and bad things happen in Fangorn. Most people try to stay away from it. So 
that's where they are now. Merry and Pippin are escaped. They're no longer prisoners of the orcs. All the orcs are dead that took them prisoner, and they are uh, by themselves in Fangorn Forest. And with that being said, I'll turn right over to Jace. Yeah, man. No, I think he nailed it. Uh, the only little detail is, um, remember at one point, Grishnak is like the other orc, and uh, Merry and Pippin are kidnapped by him at one point. And they even like kind of pretend to be Gollum, in a way, and, like, tempt him with the ring. But um, just like you said, I mean, I think you really nailed it on the head. There's no reason to really read it. But, um, you know, the riders come in and ambush the orcs, and then Ublik and Grishnak are slayed in the process. Like, it's really, like, not really a contest, honestly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I'll let you take away Chapter 4. Man, Chapter 4 is probably one of the most frustrating chapters for me to read of what we've done so far in Lord of the Rings just because it was 33 pages, and of the 33 pages, I've got like six bullet points of what I thought was potentially important. Like I almost it, fell asleep. Yeah, it was tough, man. Like I want to say it's bad. It's just there wasn't a ton of excitement. Uh, you know, so and the, the biggest things I have here is page 64 in my book. That's when we are introduced. We get that full circle moment. We've heard like whispers about him before, but we are finally introduced to an ent, and not just any ent, Treebeard himself. And we actually learn a little bit about Treebeard and, how, and why he is specifically an important ent in a little bit. And I actually have like the page number and the um, quote there so people can really realize how important to the ents Treebeard really is. Um, but I also thought it was kind of cool here, too, that Treebeard has a very shorthanded name, but in reality, his real name is super long, and all Ent names are, because the way he really describes it, talking about Treebeard, he says that Ent's names are like stories that grow over time with them aging. So that's pretty cool. I thought that was awesome. Um, then... We also learn why there's no new Ents, like no children Ents. We learn that the Ent wives have been missing for years and that without them, that Ents can't procreate. So they're just kind of, you know, what ends up happening. I don't know if this, if I, if I read this correctly or if I'm interpreting it right, but it's like these Ents grow old to the point where they become more tree-like is what Trevor was saying. It's almost like the way they quote-unquote die is they just become a tree without a voice anymore, basically like a normal tree that you would see in a forest, like in, in our regular lives so it's like they don't really um die unless like they're burned or they're killed that they kind of just go back into like a full tree state is what my interpretation is i could be completely wrong but that is what i took away from it uh next thing i have the you know after like treebeard takes mary and pippin and and you know he's kind of kind he's pretty kind to them uh, he ends up taking them to this uh this little clearing and they're drinking this type of liquid that it, there's different forms of it. There's some like for nighttime. There's some for daytime. Some of it seems like more hardy. Some of it seems like great for like sleep and rest. It's interesting. It's just different types of water, but I guess it has different levels of sustenance to it. And I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, it, you know, it ends up they end up talking in, to the point where Treebeard in, in, gets in, infuriated, but not with like Merry and Pippin, but just with the situation what's going on and and how like the trees are getting attacked and killed in certain areas and so he ends up calling a like meeting of the other uh, ents and so they, they had it's called an ent moot uh, i thought that was pretty cool and they end up agreeing that mary and pippin are not orcs uh, they also add the names of the hobbit race to their old songs of the other creatures of the world 
like Treebeard was at first trying to go through all the lists of the creatures that are on Earth that they know about, starting with like the elves and the dwarves and then men, and then it went to even some regular creatures like bears and other things of that nature. And so that's where like uh, Mary and Pippin are like, hey, like we're hobbits, we're not any of those, but like you know, put us right underneath where you mentioned men and. You know, they're like, that's when they had that little discussion about that. And another thing we learned, too, is that Ents take a long time to do anything. So they took, like, days to decide these kind of things, like, that, that they weren't orcs. Uh, and then on top of that, they um, they also decided that they were going to pursue. And, and what's funny, too, and this is a big difference, and I'll bring it up more towards when we kind of get to it there. But there's a, I'll just suffice it to say there's a huge difference of what changes Treebeard's mind in the books versus the movie. In the movie, Mary and Pippin have a lot more to do with it and why, like, they show him something that gets him to that point. Where in the, in the books, it's really not like that. Uh, they just have the conversations and he ends up, you know, they end up having the conversation alone with the other, talking about, like, Mary and Pippin. They have the conversation with Treebeard and he leaves them alone with this other sapling tree that's not really a sapling because it's not a child like they, there's no children there but he's like the closest thing to an end child like the most hasty is what they call him and you know he ends up kind of Treebeard ends up getting like riled up to the point where he has a meeting of all the other ends and they decide hey we're gonna go to war and that's really what we, we find out there it's on page 90 that I wanted to really talk about um, we're gonna read the songs about the end going to war against Isengard because this is what they decided and it says <clears throat> To Isengard, through Isengard be ringed and barred with doors of stone, though Isengard be strong and hard as cold as stone and as bare as bone. We go, we go, we go to war, to hew the stone and break the door. For bowl and bow are burning now, the furnace roars, we go to war. To land of gloom with tramp of doom, with roll of drum, we come, we come. To Isengard with doom we come, with doom we come, with doom we come. So the Ents are officially <laughs> going to war with Isengard because Isengard has been kind of like going into Fangorn Forest, killing trees, taking them, burning them, uh, making it just like a miserable place where they are going to eventually be all eradicated if they just like continue letting it happen. And so they're like, well, listen, we either can die as they take us out one by one or we can die in one last blaze of glory trying to save ourselves. What's it going to be? They finally decide after days of deliberation, because they're ends and it takes them eight years to say hello, uh, <laughs> they finally figure out that they are going to war, and that song kind of just really like nails home the point. Uh, page 91. I do think that this is really, really cool. It actually makes the, uh, it kind of draws a comparison to, you know, how it mentions like orcs are basically fell elves. It says, like, basically the thing about the same thing with trolls and ents is that trolls are basically fell ents. And I'm going to read this exact passage. It says, um, Well, we could, you know. You do not know, perhaps, how strong we are. Maybe you have heard of trolls. They are mighty strong. But trolls are only counterfeits made by the enemy in the great darkness in mockery of ents, as orcs were of elves. We are stronger than trolls. We are made of the bones of the earth, we can split stone like the roots of trees, only quicker, far quicker if our minds are roused. If we are not honed down or destroyed by fire or blasts of sorcery, we could split Isengard into splinters and crack its walls into rubble. That's freaking badass. <laughs> like, that, that's what Treebeard says about Ents. So that's something new that we kind of learned that I looked over the first time is that orcs are basically the, the evil counterfeit of Ents. Just like the orc, like I'm sorry, the 
trolls are evil counterparts of ants, just like the orcs are evil counterparts of elves. And then the very last line I want to read, the one line here says, Night lies over Isengard, said Treebeard. <laughs> I thought that was a really cool way to, to end the chapter. And that being said, I'll turn over to Jace to give his takeaways about this chapter. Yeah, man. No, I thought you nailed it pretty much. Um, just a couple things. One thing a lot of people don't know, I thought this was cool. The Ents actually have their own language. So it's not like the language of men. It's not the language of elves. Like, it's just the language of Ents. Because there was even parts where he was talking to uh, the other Ents. And Merry and Pippin couldn't even understand. And they didn't realize it was... Uh, it wasn't Elvish. It wasn't the language of Middle Earth. It was their own language. Um, as far as Treebeard goes, he introduced them to two other ants. I call them trees. Uh, Leaflock and Skinbark. <laughs> really creative, J.R. Tolkien. Really creative. <laughs> but that's all I'll say on that. Um, and where he was actually taking them for this meeting with the other trees, I call them the ends. It was Dingle. Um, and uh, there is when it was taken so long. Miriam Pippin, the tree <laughs> that Jay Nelly was talking about, where they were like having mead with this tree <laughs> for days, <laughs> which. This chapter is so damn boring. <laughs> He's straight up honest. It was so damn boring. I barely got fucking through it, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, no. It was just really fucking slow. <laughs> it was just really slow. I don't know why Tolkien couldn't just say they had a meeting with some trees. <laughs> That's all he really had to say. But anyways, they meet with this other tree... Who takes them to the tree shack? It was basically like the the shrieking shack of the tree people, where they had some fucking mead, man. And uh, the tree shrieking shack place. It was a Breegalad that takes him there. I was really hoping Breegalad had something involving trees. His name, like I was thinking, it would have something like bark or something like tree bark. That would have been a better one, but Breegalad it is. Um, that's all we ever hear of Breagalad again. That's really all he ever did. I really don't see any point in him even being in this entire story. <laughs> uh, I mean, then again, they did the same to Tom Bombadil. So, I mean, maybe he was important. We just never hear about him again. Um, but yeah, and, uh, just another little takeaway is like, uh, Treebeard does talk about how Saruman used to walk in his forest and they would talk a lot but he never really opened up to him but that's about it man what I pulled away from this chapter was it was boring it was really boring uh, he decided they were not orcs and they would go to war against Saruman and there were a lot of meaningless trees we will never hear about again <laughs> and uh, back to you man I I think the quote-unquote importance of the that one tree, the one that started with a B, I don't remember its name. <laughs> Brigalad. Brigalad. The, the importance of Brigalad was that there, it was like the closest thing to a child ant that they had since they couldn't reproduce. And they always talk about like Merry and Pippin being hasty, trying to get to the point of things and like, you know, go do things fast, fast, fast. Like this, this 
like Regal at is the closest thing to Marion Pippen that they could like relate to, and so it's like, hey, you guys keep each other company while we talk for days. <laughs> and I think that's the only thing is just they keep them company because they were the, the, the Regal ad's the closest thing to uh, a young and and so. Because uh, Regal himself said, you know, they called me hasty because one one of the ends were saying their full name and I didn't let them finish or something like that. So I don't know, man. I just think that's the only importance is that it's like the closest thing to a, a an adolescent end that we're gonna find. But yeah, no, I I agree. It was not my favorite chapter that I've ever read. Regal joined the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> we never heard from him again. <laughs> <laughs> and then they replaced him with Groot. Yeah. <laughs> they Gave sh- back to you, man. They shortened his name from Regalad to Groot, and they just called him the Guardian. It was of the like Regalad sucks. <laughs> we was a. Here's my theory. Mal is in the chalice. Mal is in the chalice guard on this. Here's my theory on Regalad. Here's my theory. So Regalad was born. No one gave a shit about Regalad. Regalad shortened his name. To tree bark. Hey, everyone hated the fucking name tree bark. So they had their little meeting in Durdingle. They said, "You look like a fucking orc. Get your fucking ass out of here." He had to get his ass out of there. He joined Guardians of the Galaxy. Him and Groot became friends, but Thor didn't really like him. So when Groot chopped off his arm, and Thor made Stormbreaker with the axe. Thor chopped Briegelad down and killed him. And Briegelad don't exist no more. And that's Malice in the Chalice card, baby. That's why we have that card off to the Shadow Realm. Because when you have Malice in the Chalice card, those are the rules, according to Ramsey Bolton. I can say whatever I feel like about Briegelad, and I just don't feel like he was important to the story at all. Back to Jay Nelly. <laughs> I love how we intertwine Game of Thrones with Marvel, with Lord of the Rings, and we just decided that Briegelad was going to go hang out with the Guardians. We said, you're gonna, we're going to take you from one universe... We're going to put you in another one. And then apparently Thor got sick of him and chased his mind and, and chopped him down. So That's your preview um, for Thor Love and Thunder coming to Factor Fan. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, yeah, the next chapter, the second to last we're going to cover today is chapter 5. It's called The White Rider. See, this well, this chapter pretty good. We had some cool things happen in this chapter. There you Enjoyed go. this. We, you know, we went from that you know wildly long chapter, 33 pages of... Ents uh, doing a whole lot of nothing except talking and agreeing to do things. Um, not a lot actually got done, though. So, <laughs> now it's time to get to a chapter where some cool things kind of happen. Uh, the biggest thing I had here, the first takeaway, is that Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, they're tracking Merry and Pippin into Fangorn Forest. And once they get to the spot where Treebeard picked Merry and Pippin up, they're greeted by an old man. And that old man, at first they thought it was going to be Saruman, and they were trying to figure out how they were going to attack in a way, like, but um, Gimli's axe, like, fell from his hands, like, Aragorn's sword burned super hot, and Legolas shot an arrow, and the arrow turned to flames, and it was a whole ordeal, and turns out that when they turned around, and he was talking, it was not actually Saruman, it was none other than Gandalf, 
And he's now Gandalf the White. He's back, baby. Gandalf is here to stay. He, he came through the mines of Moria, came out the other side. We'll learn more about it uh, as the chapter goes on. But our boy is back. And that's why I said I thought possibly that the eagle flying back north at such a great speed had something to do with going back to the mines of Moria and going to get Gandalf um, and be a part of that whole resurrection, bringing him back to to the land of the living. So who knows? But uh, Gandalf the White is here with us. He is here to stay throughout the remainder of this novel series you know we got the rest of this book all of next book and our boy Gandalf's going to be with us but he did say something very very uh, curious that leads me to believe that maybe after this is all completed uh, Gandalf is going to be departing from this realm so I thought that was pretty cool but uh, yeah we learned that the eagle uh, also kind of did things on Gandalf's orders to, to uh, and this is on page uh, the middle paragraph on page 103 talking about this eagle here uh, he was also kind of reporting to Gandalf about the things that were going on, so Gandalf wasn't going to go into things blind, right? It says, um, yeah, all right, so this is page 103, middle one, says, The eagle, I have seen eagle high and far off. The last time was three days ago above the Emin Mule. Yes, said Gandalf, that was Gwehir the Windlord who rescued me from Orthanc. I sent him before me to watch the river and gather tidings. His sight is keen, but he cannot see all that passes under hill and tree. Some things he has seen, and others I have seen myself. The ring now passed beyond my help, or the help of any of the company that set out from Rivendell. Very nearly it was revealed to the enemy, but it escaped. I had some part in that, for I sat in a high place, and I strove with the dark tower, and the shadow passed. Then I was weary, very weary, and I walked long in dark thought. So there was a couple things with that. Number one, this this eagle is giving Gandalf like news of what's going on, so he's not going to things blind. But on top of that, Gandalf's got this wild new power. Like he was he was going toe to toe with the, the the shadow and the dark tower. Like what in the world? And to kind of further go on about that here, I want to talk about the last paragraph on page one hundred four through the first paragraph on one hundred five. It says, "What then shall I say?" said Gandalf, and paused for a moment while in thought. This in brief is how I see things at the moment. If you wish to have a piece of my mind as plain as possible, the enemy, of course, has long known that the ring is abroad and is borne by a hobbit. He knows now that num the number of our company that's out from Rivendell and the kind of each of us. But he does not yet perceive our purpose clearly. He supposes that we were all going to Minas Tirith, for that is what he would himself have done in our place. And according to his wisdom, it would have been a heavy stroke against his power. Indeed, he is in great fear, not knowing what mighty one may suddenly appear wielding the ring and assailing him with war, seeking to cast him down and to take his place. That we should wish to cast him down and have no one in his place is not a thought that occurs to his mind. That we should try to destroy the ring itself has not yet entered into his darkest dream, in which no doubt you'll see our good fortune and our hope. For imagining war, he has let loose war, believing that he has no time to waste, for he if he strikes the first blow, and strikes hard enough, he may need to strike no more. So the forces that he has long been preparing, he is now sending in motion sooner than he intended. Wise fool, for if he had used all of his power to guard Mordor, so that none could enter, and bent all his guile to the hunting of the ring, then indeed hope would have faded. Neither ring nor bearer could have eluded him. But now his eye gazes abroad 
rather than near at home, and mostly he looks towards Minas Tirith, and very soon, now his strength will fall upon it like a storm. So, thought that was pretty badass, because basically what that means is that uh, Sauron is, is fooled by the company's intentions. He thought that they were going to use the ring against him and try to like overthrow him and have like another supreme rule in his place. And because of that, he's rushing things. He's rushing, you know, to get his army out in the field to, to like take the people he perceives as the biggest threat out ahead of time. And in doing so, he's leaving his defenses wide open um, for the original plan, which is to destroy the ring. So, definitely thought that was pretty cool. Definitely something worth notating there. Also. Uh, we learn that Saruman also wants the ring, and he kind of double-crossed Sauron by ordering the orcs to bring the hobbits to him in Isengard versus taking them to Mordor. So that was kind of cool there, too, is that Saruman, Saruman is kind of a double-crosser. That's something that actually doesn't get brought up in the films at all. I thought that was pretty cool, is that this is something that the, the books, and I, I guess I kind of forgot about it, the books really detail that Saruman was kind of playing double agent and wanting to take the ring for himself and kind of be that competing power. And that, you know, that basically it was going to be, if Saruman had the ring, he had a good shot at overthrowing Sauron. But without it, he doesn't really have, like, the power necessary. And so that's why he wanted to get the ring first. And the, the orders were to take uh, the hobbits to Isengard. And obviously this, this quote doesn't happen in the books, but it's one of my favorite things in the movies. Is when Legos looks up, he says, they're taking the hobbits to Isengard. But <laughs> anyways, uh, that's why he, Saruman wanted to get that, his hands on the ring first. And then who knows what had happened from there. But I thought it was pretty interesting because he kind of really does just act like a lackey to Sauron in the films. But he actually had his own strategic thoughts behind it here in the book about how he could potentially be the big power at play if he played his cards right and got his hands on the ring first before Sauron. So thought that was pretty cool. Uh, on top of this here, we now know that the ring wraiths ride flying steeds and they are called Nazgul. So that was the full circle one that I mentioned earlier with the foreshadow about these these uh, wing creatures, the Nazgul here, our black riders are back. They're no longer on horses. They're on these crazy winged creatures, and they are they mean business. They, they, these things are creepy, scary looking, uh, and they are a problem. But so that we are they, the good news is, is that Sauron hasn't let them kind of cross the quote unquote river or whatever. So they aren't in full pursuit of anything just yet. But they are out there. They are a menace. They are tough to deal with, and we'll learn more about that as the series goes on. Uh, now, this is what I was talking about earlier about Treebeard and how like, the, the importance of him specifically. This is the last paragraph here on page 107. I want to mention. It says, uh, Who is Treebeard? Ah, now you are asking much, said Gandalf. The little that I know of his long, slow story would make a tale for which we have no time now. Treebeard is Fangorn the guardian of the forest. He is the oldest of the Ents, the oldest living thing that still walks beneath the sun upon this middle earth. That's crazy. <laughs> That's exactly, like, 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 we've heard about Tom Bombadil who was there from the beginning. Gandalf just told us that Treebeard outdates him. He said he <laughs> is, like, he's the oldest living thing that still walks beneath the sun upon this middle earth. That's directly for me. It's on page 107 and it's the last paragraph likely different in your guys' books but that's right there so either there's a plot hole because I remember them saying earlier Tom Bombadil was definitely like the one that came first but here right here it says like he's the oldest living thing that still walks between the sun upon Middle Earth so I don't know either there's the first plot hole that we came across 
or they came at the same exact time. Tom Bombadil and Treebeard, I don't know which. Either way, some level of problem that we're going to have to solve, but we can't solve. So Unless just Tom Bombadil isn't living. I guess that's a good part of it, too, but... <laughs> guess, he seemed pretty but, alive to me. About to say, and they and they were gonna think about bringing him to the council and in the in the fellowship. So I don't know how you're gonna bring someone that's not living out of the forest <laughs> to the council. Like I don't know, man. That, I mean, that that's definitely you know a debate that we could have on it. Um, if Tom Bombadil was technically like a living creature or not, but I would assume he is. <laughs> you know, uh, he had to be there to grab Frodo and all these people out of these problems in in the forest he's saying to the old man willow tree and he had to get him out of the barrow downs like with the barrow whites i don't know i would assume he's he's a living thing he seems a lot more living than people we will talk about next book <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah hey, they, they, that, that's a really cool point you brought there because i think that gets foreshadowed here in just a bit too yeah um but yeah then the next thing I want to mention too, outside of what like the importance of Treebeard and how he's like the oldest creature in Middle Earth, is I mentioned it just not too long ago about Gandalf's new power and how impressive it truly is. So I'm gonna read like the first line of the third paragraph on page 108. So uh, he goes, "Dangerous!" cried Gandalf, "and so am I. Very dangerous. More dangerous than anything you will ever meet." unless you are brought alive before the seat of the Dark Lord. So literally Gandalf just told us in his own words, he's the strongest being in Middle-earth not named Sauron. Like, that's badass. Like, that's super cool. And even to kind of go on to bring more evidence to that, this is towards the end of the, that page here on 108. It says, no, said Gandalf, that is not the road you must take. I spoke words of hope, but only of hope. Hope is not victory. War is upon us, and all our friends, a war in which only the use of the ring could give a surety of victory. It fills me with great sorrow and great fear. For much shall be destroyed, and all may be lost. I am Gandalf, Gandalf the White, but black is mightier still. So he's basically saying he's the second strongest being in Middle-earth as opposed to Sauron himself. So definitely thought that was pretty badass there. Um, next thing I have on my end... And just two more things to close out the chapter. The, this, we actually just mentioned this Chase talking about a little more alive than the other things we're going to talk about next book. Uh, yeah, on page 112 specifically, Gandalf gives Aragorn a little uh, message from Galadriel back in Lorien. And this is the, the uh, message that Gandalf has to deliver to Aragorn. It says... Where now are the Dunedain, Elisar, Elisar? Why do thy kinsfolk wander afar? Near is the hour when the lost should come forth, and the gray company ride from the north. But dark is a path appointed for thee. The dead watch the road that leads to the sea. So that's a little bit of a foreshadow awesome. of uh, stuff to come. <laughs> Thought that was pretty badass. Uh, great timing on that by Chase to bring that up because that's right there. And then, uh, yeah, the, the, the very last takeaway I have of this chapter is basically Gandalf and the trio. They're making their way towards Rohan now. Uh, they are on their way. So those are the takeaways I had from uh, the chapter called The White Rider. And I'll turn it over to Chase. Yeah, man, I think you nailed it. Uh, the one part I want to bring up is we get a little uh, backstory on what it was like with uh, 
my boy going squaring off. It was like Mario against Bowser, man. <laughs> it was uh you like how I saved that for you. I knew you yeah, I thought it was really <laughs> cool. I was like <laughs> I was wondering like why you missed that big part and I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> Full circle moment at its finest. Uh, so this is on page 105 in my book and y'all's it might be a little bit different. Um, but I'm just going to read this one page here uh, just cuz it's so badass. Uh, so he says, Then tell us what you will, and in time allow us, said Gimli. Come, Gandalf, tell us how you fared with the Belrog. Name it not, said Gandalf. And for a moment it seemed that a cloud of pain passed over his face, and he sat silent, looking as old as death. Long time I fell, he said at last, slowly, as if thinking back with difficulty. Long I fell, and he fell with me. His fire was about me. I was burned. Then we plunged into deep water, and all was dark. Cold it was at the tide of death, almost it froze my heart. Deep is the abyss that is spanned by Durin's bridge, and none has measured it, said Gimli. Yet it has a bottom, beyond light and knowledge, said Gandalf. Thither I came at last to the uttermost foundations of stone. He was with me still. His fire was quenched, but now he was a thing of slime, stronger than a strangling snake. We fought far under the living earth, where time is not counted. Ever he clutched me, and ever I hewed, till at last he flew into the dark tunnels. They were not made by Durin's folk, Gimli, son of Gloin. Far, far, below deepest delvings of the dwarves, the world is gnawed by nameless things. Even Sauron knows them not. They are older than he. Now I have walked here, but I will bring no report to darken the light of day. In that despair, my enemy was my only hope, and I pursued him, clutching at his heel. Thus he brought me back at last to the secret ways of Khazad-dûm. Too well he knew them all. Ever up now we went, until we came to the endless stair. Long has that been lost, said Gimli. Many have said that it was never made, save in legend, but others say that it was destroyed. It was made. And it had not been destroyed, said Gandalf. From the lowest dungeon to the highest peak it climbed, ascending an unbroken spiral in many thousand steps, until it issued at last an endurance tower carved in the leaving rock of Zirigzigl, the pinnacle of silver tine. Thereupon Celebidil was a lonely window in the snow. Before it lay a narrow space, a dizzy eerie above the mist of the world. The sun shone fiercely there, but all below was wrapped in cloud. Out he sprang, and even as I came behind, he burst into new flame. There was none to see, or perhaps in after ages, songs would still be sung of the Battle of the Peak. Suddenly Gandalf laughed. But what would they say in song? Those that looked up from afar thought that the mountain was crowned with storm. Thunder, they heard, and lightning, they said, smote upon Celebdil, and leaped back, broken into tongues of fire. Is that enough? A great smoke rose upon us, vapor and steam. Ice fell like rain. I threw down my enemy, and he fell from the high place and broke the mountainside, where he smote it in his ruin. Then darkness took me, and I strayed out of thought and time and wandered far on roads that I will not tell. Naked I was sent back for a brief time until my task is done, 
and naked I lay upon the mountain top. The tower behind crumbled into dust, and window is gone. The ruined stair was choked, which burned like broken stone. I was alone, forgotten, without escape until the hard horn of the world. There I lay staring upward while the stairs wheeled over each day, and as long as life aged of the earth, faint to my ears came gathered rumor of all lands, the springing and dying, the song and weeping, and the slow everlasting groan of overburdened stone. And so at last, Guahir, the windlord, found me again, and he took me up and bore me away. Ever am I fated to be your burden, friend at need, I said. A burden you have been, he said, but not so now. Light as Swain's feather in my claw you are, the sun shines through you. Indeed, I do not think you need any more were I to let you fall. You would float upon the wind. Do not let me fall, I gasped, for I felt life in me again. Bear me, La Florian. That indeed is the command of the Lady Galadriel, who sent me to look for you, he answered. Thus it was that I came to Caris. Galadon, and found you but lately gone. I tarred there in the ageless time of that land where days bring healing and not decay. Healing I found, and I was clothed in white. Counsel I gave, and counsel took. Thence by strange roads I came, and messages I bring to, to some of you. So, he made it, man. I wasn't going to read the little song there, <laughs> but uh, it uh, it's just amazing that, uh, I mean, I no one else would be able to, no one else would be able to take on the Balrog like that, in my opinion. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, it's more power to our boy Gandalf. Uh it's like, I, I like the way how he, how it kind of portrayed it in the film too. It kind of really kind of put this, um, mm-hmm. the whole story into a visualization that we could actually see. Because he did cast down the Balrog, but he also passed out of time and space, which it shows kind of, it really kind of shows him doing that, coming back naked into like a, a new being almost. Like, it's still mm-hmm. Gandalf, but not really. That's why he, he has to recall some things of a previous life, and he's got this new power, like foresight. I, yeah, it, it it took everything in him to take this Balrog out, but he did it, and now he's back, and back with a vengeance in a way. He's not the same Gandalf, and he's not supposed to be. Yeah. He's now what he's mentioned, what Saruman was supposed to be, like the, the, like the leader of the, the, the almost like kind of like the council now. He has the power... Uh, even, like I mentioned it before he went, even went into the story about the Balrog he talks about he's the greatest power in Middle Earth outside of Sauron so uh, yeah I mean uh, that, that's my thoughts on it it's really cool that Gandalf the Grey was able to kill and defeat the Balrog he ended up losing himself in, the, in that battle too but that's one hell of an enemy uh, that, you know, that's a resume builder right there taking out a, taking yeah. out a uh, fully fledged Balrog uh, uh, you know and it, it was crazy too as you can see it said like a, a flash of pain came across his face when he was like recalling the story like that thing really took its toll on him but he was able to get the job done in the end so that's that's all I got to say about that one yeah the only question I have is how did his body not get burned up I guess it didn't like it wasn't sparking flame the whole time, but you would think like you'd just be incinerated on the way down. 
I don't know. Yeah, maybe he used some sort of spell to... I don't know. I've got no clue. Um, all I know is that it was a long, hard-fought battle. There was really no winner because they both kind of died. But only one got to come back, and it was not the Balrog. So. Breeglad wouldn't have survived. <laughs> Breeglad would have got that ass burned. <laughs> yeah. Literally a wooden tree. So yeah. So. <laughs> I would imagine. I would imagine so. so. <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, let's take us away to the last chapter, man. Back to you, brother. Sounds like a plan. And here with this last chapter. Like, there was not many takeaways I had at all from it. I, I've gotten very few takeaways just because uh, what it really is, it's like a setup chapter for me. What I really, That's what I really think that this is. Um, but I thought one part that was really cool on page 118 of my book, it mentions these flowers that bloom where dead men rest. And that actually does get shown kind of when he buries his son, talking about King Thaden. And that, that's, that's in, the, in the film. It's a little bit different how it goes in the book. Like, honestly, that's one thing I don't like about this book here. It, he just kind of breezes past the death of his son. Like, it wasn't a big deal at all. It, we, it doesn't even barely get mentioned. Like, he right. doesn't have the funeral yeah. form. Doesn't, like, you know, I, there's a lot of things that are different about this whole thing um, between not just that that part, but how Thaden starts this conversation and, and you know, how it goes uh, with his assistant that I'll get to in a second. And, you know who's poisoning whose thoughts and who's technically involved but not really involved as maybe the film suggests so that, that you know i know that i'm kind of talking in circles there but you guys will get my just in just a second uh but uh basically the biggest thing i have is they they end up going to Edoras, which is like kind of like the capital city of rohan uh, they are looking for a council with King Thaden to kind of bring news. And then when I say they, I'm talking Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. Uh, you know, Gandalf calls Shadowfax, and they, they get their horses back. Uh, one thing I think that's important to notate as well is the original old man that they saw the night after the, like, they got to check out the the orc slayed area, and they thought you know, they asked Gandalf, "Was that you?" And Gandalf said, "No, it wasn't me." It was actually Saruman. They only got, you know, they thought they, their horses got taken. It was actually Saruman, not Gandalf. And so they got their first glimpse of him, uh, you know, masquerading as an old man talking about Saruman. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but talking about Saruman here, the reason why I want to bring him up is just because, uh, you know, not diving too much into the differences here, but in the film, it was basically similar to like a demonic possession in a way where. Saruman kind of lived inside of Thaden, and, and Gandalf had to like cast him out, like using his staff and like hitting him against the the throne room chair. And this is again, this is a movie here, where in in this it's really not like that at all. It's more, Wormtongue is just constantly like like putting things in in his ear, like kind of placating him to be at, at at ease and at rest, and you know not to you know worry about things and. It, it, it's not the same sort of possession that you would come to, to think of and what we kind of see. So he doesn't drive him out. He simply kind of tells, this is Gandalf talking to Thaden, tells him to stand up, breathe fresh air. Like he ends up having, casting some level of a spell on him, but it definitely wasn't as like aggressive as it was. It wasn't knocking him against the throne room, throne room until someone like got driven out like a poison from a snake bite, like he mentioned. And it's completely different here in the novel. It's very, very much different. It's very much him 
uh, almost smooth talking his way into, hey, listen to me. Don't listen to this guy, Wormtongue. He's been spitting poison into your ear for so long. You've come to believe it. But, you know, follow my voice. Follow like, what I'm telling you here. And It's like, you know, he had some level. Of, I think he used some level of, of, like, magic to it. But definitely not in the same realm of what we got to see on screen. So uh, this is definitely a huge difference. If you guys haven't got a chance to read this in a while, that's definitely something that I would check out because it, it is wildly different from the novel and, the, and versus the film there. But anyways, also on top of that, uh, if you remember, before Aragorn, Gandalf, Gimli, and Legolas got there to Edoras, Aomer, this is, I'm talking this is what happened in the film, Aomer, he went to King Thaden and told him about his son dying, and you know Thaden really didn't have much of a reaction at that point in time because he was so much under the spell by Saruman and then he's, uh, he even had that little back and forth with the servant Wormtongue that I told you I was going to get to um, he's like too long have you haunted my sister's steps too long have you whatever and he's like you know too much Eomir and, they, they, and he ends up being banished in the film he's actually not banished in the books he's taken prisoner and so when Gandalf and Aragorn Gimli and Legolas show up they kind of get Thaden out of the stupor that he's in, and he realizes he shouldn't have been like King Thaden realized he shouldn't have imprisoned Aomir because he was trying to, you know, he thought he was disobeying orders, but then he got to see it from a fresh lens, and he realizes he was doing the, actually the right thing, and so he brings Aomir out, and Aomir gives him like the sword to kind of get that strength back in his hands and realize what it really, really means to be king again. And so it was just, it was just, this was one of those things that were wildly different between the book and, and the movie. So definitely want to talk about that. But what I also thought was cool too is Thaden gives Wormtongue the choice to prove his loyalty in battle or leave and hope they never cross paths again or else he won't be merciful. That's almost what he said. So where it was like uh, in the film where he's like, you would have me walking all fours like a beast and like you know, throws him out there and like tosses him on the ground and goes to kill him and Aragorn like stops him from killing him. That actually doesn't happen at all in the books. <laughs> in the books he's like, hey, I'm still willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. Like you've been a good like assistant to me. Like you've been someone who's given me counsel in the past. I don't know what's because like Gandalf accuses him and, and rightly so of working for Saruman. Uh, and that's why like this is the main difference is because it's Wormtongue just kind of doing things on Saruman's orders versus Saruman actually possessing King Thaden in a way. Um, and so he, in the book he, he tells him, he's like, listen, I, I don't know what to believe just yet, but you can prove to me you, like your loyalty by coming with us in this battle or you can leave and I'll know that you were a traitor and you just better hope we never cross paths again. So I thought that was pretty cool because that's kind of how that ended there. But the biggest takeaway of this whole chapter and where it really led to in the end-all be-all, I definitely still think it's weird that we didn't get really any mention of his son's passing other than the fact that like he's like, yeah, my son's gone, so we can't, like, he can't, <laughs> if I die, he's not going to be the one that takes over. Aomir is going to be the closest thing that I've got to a living son, so if I die here and he, and he survives, he'll be your guys' new king. Hope that's cool. Like, that's basically what he said, uh, but biggest thing is they leave for battle, and they are going to leave the woman Eowyn in charge of leading the non-fighters to Dunharrow also known as Helm's Deep. So we're getting very very close to a key integral part of the two towers but it happens so so soon in the book series here that's that's kind of the, one of the big reasons why it's very hard to be able to split up 
how we how we did it with fellowship is because it comes so quickly here. But yeah, those are some of the biggest takeaways. Like I said the very end all be all of this is is uh, the riders of Rohan. They are on the move. Rohan as a as a nation is on the move. The ones that can't fight, they're going to Helm's Deep to kind of get set up and hopefully find some sort of you know safety there. And the ones that can fight, you know, they're they're going across the battlelands. They're waiting for it, and you know, we'll kind of get more into that next week. But that's uh, that's really the takeaways I had from that last chapter. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you and see one of the extra stuff that you had. Yeah, uh, just one thing is like when you're speaking of Eowyn, um, it kind of shows. I don't want to say like there's a connection between her and Aragorn. I'd say there's, there's a connection. Something going on. Yeah, I, I think that's like actually a great word for it. I think connection's like a really solid word. Like, like I, I'll let you read that that part there, but I think that's a great way to put what their their little uh, interaction was. Like that was some <laughs> level of connection there for Aragorn's sure. Aragorn's getting his, you know. Yeah, I think she she <laughs> kind of was a little bit more, but he like realized because I remember I don't remember exactly the the words, but I remember at one part like, when they brushed hands and she like trembled and he was like, "Ooh, this is not good." Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, yeah. like oh, he like at that point he realized he's like, "Nope, I can't say anything else. This is bad. This is all bad." So I think he was a little tempted, if anything. Uh, if anything, yeah, I think Arwen's he felt the temptation. Not happy. Now, <laughs> yeah. If Arwen saw this go down, she'd be Ooh. taking that light glass back. Ooh, be going right back, right back to the forge. Uh, right back to the forge. She'd be going to the havens across the sea. She's like, nope, I'm not wasting my time with you. You, this basic ass <laughs> oh. like Rohan woman. But yeah, I'll let you go ahead absolutely. and read it. No, absolutely. I understand 100%. Yeah, it says, The woman turned and went slowly into the house. As she passed the door, she turned and looked back. Grave and thoughtful was her glance. As she looked on the king with cool pity in her eyes, very fair was her face, and her long hair was like a river of gold, slender and tall. She was in her white robe girt with silver, but strong. She seemed and stern as steel as daughter of kings. Thus Aragorn, for the first time in full light of day, beheld Eowyn, Lady of Rohan, and thought her fair, fair, and cold, like a morning of pale spring that is not yet come to womanhood, and she now was suddenly aware of him, tall Arab kings, wise with many winters, gray-cloaked, hiding a power that yet she felt. For a moment, still as stone, she stood. Then, turning swiftly, she was gone. Definitely something going on, man. <laughs> That's not like normal description. <laughs> like if it's some random woman, they would just be like, "In a pretty woman walked by." <laughs> but uh, yeah, something's going on. Um, I did want to say this though. It was in the book. I do remember reading. He said, "Walk on all." <laughs> He didn't say, like, walk on all fours, but he said something about a beast. Though. Oh, he did. He definitely said that, but, like, it wasn't in the same way. Like, uh, in the movie, he, like, threw him onto, like, the steps outside, kicked him out of the hall, and, like, said, you would have me doing, like, walking on all fours like a beast. Like, I, I, I did read that as well, but then the context was just a little bit different in in the book versus where it was in the, the film. And I'm also going to kind of try to take a look for it as well. Actually, one of the things I was looking for... As I, I'm like peering through it here, but it's definitely like he did like that does have a a passage here where he does say like on all fours like a beast. Just want to make sure that I find the right one here. But, but uh, while you're looking that up, I thought it was a really cool moment when Gandalf uh, 
had Theoden, after he kind of came back to his senses here, grip this sword handle again of Rohan. I thought that was really cool. So uh, while you're looking that up, I'll, I'll read this. Uh, it was really cool. It said, um, It is my doing, my lord, said Hama, trembling. I understood that Aemir was to be set free. Such a joy was in my heart that maybe I have erred. Yet, since he was free again, and he marshal of the mark, I brought him his sword as he bade me. To lay at your feet, my lord, said Aomir. For a moment of silence, Theoden stood looking down at Aomir as he knelt still before him. Neither moved. Will you not take the sword, said Gandalf. Slowly, Theoden stretched forth his hand. As his fingers took the hilt, it seemed to the watchers that firmness and strength returned to his thin arm. Suddenly he lifted the blade and swung it shimmering and whistling in the air. Then he gave a great cry and his voice rang clear and he chanted in the tongue of Rohan to call arms, Arise now, arise, riders of Theoden. Dire deeds awake, dark is it eastward. Let horse be brittled, horn be sounded. Forth, Aeolingus. The guards, thinking that they were to be summoned, sprang up to the stair, and they looked at their lord in amazement. And then as one man, they drew their swords and laid them at his feet. Command us, they said. So I thought it was a pretty cool moment. And you found that moment there? I sure did. This is between Wormtongue and Thaden, this conversation. Start with Wormtongue. It says, Dear Lord, cried Wormtongue, it is as I feared. The wizard has bewitched you. Are none left to defend the golden hall of your fathers and all your treasure? None to guard the lord of the mark? And Theodore replies, If this is bewitchment, it seems to me more wholesome than your whisperings. Your leechcraft before long would have had me walking on all fours like a beast. No, not one shall be left, not even Grima. Grima shall ride too. Go, you have time yet to clean the rust from your sword. So it's definitely a different yeah, context. It's not like different. throwing him across the dam. Picking all, on all fours <laughs> like a beast. He definitely didn't say all... He said all fours, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> have me begging on all fours yeah, like yeah, a like, beast. Uh, before long, your leechcraft before long would have had me walking on all fours like a beast. Okay, yeah, but definitely different though. Another part here too, when we were talking, like you, you mentioned, like the happy part where Aragorn noticed her. This is the part where I thought it kind of got a little dicey. Is when he got a little bit troubled by the, what he was thinking and feeling. I, I, this is what I drew from the conclusion from this paragraph. Though this is between Eowyn and Aragorn now. It says, the king now rose, and at once Eowyn came forward bearing wine. Uh, Fear through Thaden hell, she said. Receive now this cup and drink in happy hour. Health be with thee at thy going and coming. Thaden drank from the cup, and then she pro-offered it to the guest. As she stood before Aragorn, she paused suddenly and looked upon him, and her eyes were shining. And he looked down upon her fair face and smiled. But as he took the cup, his hand met hers and he knew that she trembled at his touch. Hail Aragorn, son of Arathorn, she said. Hail Lady of Rohan, he answered, but his face was now troubled, and he did not smile. So he, he's conflicted about what he's going with, like this little, this little connection thing here. He's not, he's not sure how to feel about this. I think he feels a little maybe guilty, maybe not, uh, not very sure of, of the situation. So, yeah, that's... That's pretty much it. Those are the takeaways. You know what? We, I think we both had for the last chapter there. And I don't know, man. Do what, do, what do you have for for like debate styles? Where your takeaways for you know the chapters as a whole? What do you think? 
Yeah, well, the chapters were good. One last thing was Theoden actually offers Gandalf the gift of Shadowfax, so he actually chooses Shadowfax, so I thought it was big. So now when you see him from now on, he didn't just steal their horse. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's all that happened. But uh, I thought they were good. Except for, I mean, it was definitely... Like, when Gandalf returned, that was, like, the big moment, I think, where, you know, we found out the backstory there. Like, how did he survive against the Balrog? And it's such a big relief for this group. Like, you finally got your guy back. Like, your your big chance here. Like, maybe the tables are starting to even out just a little bit now. Um, but that fucking Treebeard chapter, dear lord... I had I was telling Jay Nellius, I read it standing up and had to keep rereading it because I got falling asleep. Like it was so damn boring. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but it was uh it's just like one of those things, man. Like it like no matter what Harry Potter book it was, like even if it was Chamber of Secrets or Sorcerer's Stone, like even the entry chapters, boarding platform nine and three quarters, it was still a fast read for me. Like, some of these chapters are so damn wordy. It's like a slow read. Gotta be real. Gotta keep it real. Damn, man. J.R.R. Tolkien, you can't fix it. But, you know, you're there. <laughs> you know, there's nothing you can do now. Books in print. <laughs> They're making shows for you. But if we took out some of the wordiness of this, this book could be 150 pages. <laughs> Your thoughts. I can't argue with the fact that it's definitely at times over detailed. Uh, that that chapter specifically, thirty three pages. And keep in mind when we talk about other pieces of literature, you can't really compare Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. They're different reads entirely. Like Harry Potter is meant for young teen readers, where I think Lord of the Rings is more for adults. Yeah. Um, the way that Lord of the Rings is written is single spaced very small uh, font and so there's just so many more words on a page versus Harry Potter where it's double spaced they're pretty big font so you can kind of rip through it pretty quickly so like it just it, it of course it's gonna be longer it just I do agree that if we kind of took a lot of the quote-unquote detail out it, it, I don't know if it'd be 150 pages, but it could definitely be 50 <laughs> pages less than what it is for sure like yeah. it's it, it definitely adds a lot of un- unnecessary like stuff that doesn't that's not important to the storyline that that's my biggest issue with, with some of these things is there's definitely more concise ways to put detail into it that is integral to the plot you know a lot of it just really isn't like the, like the this description of the settings are, are great i kind of get a good visual of it in my mind but you know the I don't know. I guess it's great for some people who are super, super visual and want to put themselves in that location in their heads while they're reading. But that was just that that chapter was a brutal one to get through. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> it sucked ass, man. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta I mean, keep it if real. You really think dude, about it. Lord. The main the main points that we get from that chapter are like Ents exist. There's one there that's been there since the beginning of time. And he rallies all the rest to go to war against Isengard. Like, you know, we, that, that's a quick summary of it. But you know, it took 33 pages for us to get 
that level of summary because they're walking through the forest. You know, like it talks about like the tree toes grabbing the ground and that's how Treebeard would walk. Like I don't really care how this guy walks through the forest, dude. Like it really doesn't matter to me the like, exact way, but you know, I, I guess it, it it works for some people. It just I don't know. Was, we stopped at the tree shack, also known as instead of the shrieking shack, they stopped at we're gonna call it the tree house. The tree house with Briegelad was three days. Three days in the treehouse cooking mead with Briegelad. <laughs> that sounds like they were meth cookers or something, man. <laughs> they were cooking meth with Briegelad in the trees. I mean, it, was like, it wasn't like even meat. It was like that, that liquid that, that they use. It's, I don't know if it's water or what. It's some level form of water, but... It was like a Breaking Bad. We have to cook. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, though. Good but call. But it was... Um, it was that like of all the chapters I read so far, I you know what it, it's kind of like it was kind of like that in the Fellowship of the Ring too. Like the or, old forest chapter got real boring until it got to like the house of Tom Bombadil. Yeah, like it just whatever it is with J.R.R. Tolkien and forests, just stay away from him, brother, because you just go into way too much detail. It don't fucking matter. Like that's that's pretty no much forest a, yeah, anymore. No more like, forest. No more. I've forest. had enough of the damn forest. That's, that's for sure. Like Fangorn Forest and the old forest can go forest the fuck off. Off. Like I just, I've had enough. Uh, they just, yeah. I, they, it'd be black one. gates. That's your thing. Stick with gates <laughs> and uh, and mines and mountains. Anything with mines, mountains, gates, something like that. But then like we get things <laughs> like the 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 Lothlorien forest was kind of cool. We got the, the, the Galadriel yeah, there, like you know. Cool. So how you get that? Perfectly fine. And then I don't know. I guess it gave me personal preference, like I said. You know, I can't speak for everybody here, but just me personally, reading through it, it was. I was like, "Are we done with this chapter yet?" <laughs> like I was. Yeah, that was the hardest one to get through for this one. But outside of that, like I, I did enjoy like the deal because what I felt this was it was like it was like a build up and it was like a collision course of timelines in a way. Like not that there were different timelines, but like like points of view, right? So we had you know. In the very first, I guess the second chapter of the book, but the very first chapter we covered today, we got Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli like on the trail of Merry and Pippin trying to find him. We get in that little interaction with the Rise of Rohan. That's a great way to introduce Rohan into like the fold here. So nothing wrong with that chapter. Then the next chapter, it's really kind of everything that happened from the moment Merry and Pippin got kidnapped by the orcs and they, we kind of get it from their perspective from the moment they got kidnapped to their escape into Fangorn Forest and there was some really important stuff there like how there was three different factions of orcs and how they all had their own different like prerogative of what they wanted to do with Merry and Pippin and where they wanted to take them like that stuff's super important but then after that then we get into Fangorn Forest and then so we get that tree bear chapter and it's like ah oh, man then it follows it up with the White Rider where we get Gandalf back we get that really cool description of how he overcame the Balrog like stuff that's happened since then and that was pretty cool and then we, we have them go to Rohan get Thaden's head out of his ass from getting you know talked to by Wormtongue for so long until he's like a decrepit old man and we get that <laughs> out of the way and now they're going off to battle too so like, like we got a lot of cool details that led into great places in the storyline and the plotline just that, that one chapter was just like man I get, you know, I'm not saying that the chapter itself didn't have a point because it did because at the end of that chapter what we really took away from it is the Ents are going to go to war against Isengard yeah. Cool. That's awesome. We didn't need 33 pages of that to come to that conclusion, though. That's my biggest point on it. But overall, I did enjoy the chapters that we did cover. Um, you know, it, they are they were fun in its entirety. If we can overlook the the length and the lack of excitement from 
the Treebeard chapter. Outside of that, though, like I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, we're, we're building towards something on a lot of in a lot of ways. So, uh, no, I, I think overall I enjoyed it. But um, did you have any debates that you wanted to, to jump into? Uh, here's one. I'll, uh, just I usually think of my debates on the fly. That's just kind of what I what I do. If here's my debate is if the writers of Rohan didn't kill Uglik and that other orc and that group of orcs, do you think Merry and Pippin would still be kidnapped? Like, yeah. Um, I just because if you guys remember, and we didn't kind of talk about this on this episode or not, but going through the first chapter... The, the, I call them the trio, right? Because I, I didn't want to say Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli every single damn time. But they <laughs> lost a lot of ground trailing the orcs because they decided to take a rest. And they were, they, they just, the orcs just didn't stop. They just kept going and they kept going. And so I just don't think, because they ended up by the Fangorn Forest. And that's when the Riders Run swept in and killed them before they entered there. But if they get past that, like, without the Riders Run being involved at all, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas aren't even anywhere near them. So. Yeah, likely they are probably in Isengard being tortured or like being like um, stripped down to figure out what items they have on them to see if one of them has the ring or not, and if they don't, they're going to be tortured for information about who does. So that that probably is the, the case of what happens in, in my mind. I think uh, just because they were very close to the border, regardless before Rohan stepped in. If Rohan wasn't there to step in, I don't think they get there in time before Saruman gets his hands on them. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, even with the little swords that they have, I don't think they could have held their own against what was it like a hundred orcs? Probably more, honestly, because like if this was the talk about, that's why I thought it was super impressive. Um, talking about the Boromir side of stuff, uh, it said that he kind of scared them all off, and that they came back uh, and had like over a hundred of them. So to read that part again, it says. Then Boromir had come leaping through the trees. He had made them fight. He slew many of them, and the rest of them fled, like ran away from him. <laughs> and they had not gone far, for on the way back, when they were attacked again, there were a hundred orcs at least. Some of them very large and shot a rain of arrows. So like, so there was at least a hundred that came back just from that one horde. So who knows like, if that was all of the factions, or if that was just one aspect of them. So at the very least, there were a hundred, maybe more. Probably more. So, yeah, no, I don't think Merry and Pippin are doing much with their little baby swords against yeah, no. a couple hundred orc. I do want to say this. Uh, we'll talk about the differences much later on, but this is uh, one of my favorite quotes is actually at that specific part in the film when uh, Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn are tracking him down. Uh, it's actually Lurtz in the film who's kind of takes the role of Ooglick here, but he's no, like... Lurtz got killed in the, in the or, Fellowship. Not Lurtz, yeah, cut, yeah, Lurtz got killed, yeah. sorry. Whoever the, like, he was similar to Lurtz. He was like another Urukai. But he's like, he's like, I smell man flesh. <laughs> they picked up our trail! <laughs> they picked up our trail! <laughs> It's almost like the Anakin Skywalker thing. It is, uh, you know, we just passed May the 4th. Say the Anakin line. Say your favorite Anakin line. <laughs> you will try. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, that's uh, just recently came out on Disney Plus. The new one, Obi-Wan series. Yeah, it comes out May 27th. But um, yeah, that was kind of my, 
point was I just wanted to say that line because it's one of my favorite lines. They picked up our trail. <laughs> they like hauled ass with them, man. It was funny too. It's like, dude, there was three people against your hundred. Like, why are you that worried? You, know, you just didn't strengthen numbers. You guys should have been fine, right? But yeah, but good call. Lurts was guilt in the last one. They're just starting to look all similar. But this one, and you had that one that was like, this wasn't in the novel at all. He was like that weird one that was kind of like old, the pointed nose. He was like, I want some meats. <laughs> what about the legs? They don't need them. <laughs> I want some meats. <laughs> meats back on the menu, boys. <laughs> that was so good. That was dead on. <laughs> he like cut his arms off and shit. That's fucking crazy. Dude, we should have tried... Dude, if only, oh man, if only, if Amazon, because they just bought the rights to the Lord of the Rings, if they decide to make an actual, like, movie, we're going to apply to be orcs. That'd be fun. <laughs> that would be awesome. Meat's back on the menu, boys. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. With that, man, that's uh, that was my debate. Did you have any debates? Any? Yeah, I do, and I, I'm kind of torn whether I want to throw this, like this debate now or if I want to save it. But since I already brought it up, I might as well talk about it. Do you do you think that uh, this is this is talking about like like the the romance aspect of stuff? Like, do you think if Arwen was not in the picture? That we'd have a budding romance between two, like kingdoms, meaning you know uh, Aragorn being the heir to Gondor, being Elendil's heir, uh, and then obviously Eowyn being, you know, a royalty from Rohan. Do you think we would have got like matched up with like two houses uniting, almost Game of Thrones style, two you know uniting two people's houses? Do you think we would have gotten that if Arwen wasn't in the picture? Like, what do you think? It almost makes me wonder if, like, and you know, I'm an elf guy here. Arwen wasn't supposed to be in the picture. Like, maybe she wasn't supposed to be in the picture. It just happened to be that's the way fate lies, right? Because think of it if Eowyn and Aragorn got together and Arwen wasn't in the picture, who never wanted her to be with Aragorn, anyways? Elrond. So everyone would be happy. She wouldn't know Aragorn. She'd be sent off. Probably wind up with my boy Legolas anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so it really doesn't matter. Legolas is shit. <laughs> and uh, Elrond would be happy. You would have no problems there. And then Aragorn would form this basically this massive alliance of men with Eowyn. And, you know, I mean it's probably being honest it's probably a more ideal situation it probably is uh i mean it's not like the forge the sword can't be reforged all you need is a blacksmith <laughs> they've had those since the 20th century you go get some fire you go get some Bro, wood the 20th century it was only last year oh last yeah 20th century, century like, is like, this year like like we're, we're yeah, talking sorry. like old they're down the way way back i mean they've like, had those since century. like yeah the, the second century yeah man. what is it the first age of middle yeah, earth yeah <laughs> they've had the that. thing is like but it's an elven blade so you need yeah. an elf an elven blacksmith to make it like the like the strength that it's supposed to be and, and, and the level of sword it's supposed to be so there's not so many elven blacksmiths i'm sure but 
Oh, they've been uh, around since the first century. I'm oh, sure. for sure. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> yeah. if, but like, if you don't have like the Elven Alliance, because that's the other part of this whole not, not like the Bay argument, but you're talking about the, you know everyone being sort of happy. At that point, because Aragorn has a lot of ties to the Elves, like he's part of the Dúnedain, right? And he was kind of mm-hmm. grew up around Elves. He speaks the Elven language very fluently. It's like, man, it's hard to say that it. There wasn't some level of faith there, but it's almost like star-crossed lovers talking about Arwen and Aragorn. They're not really supposed to be together. It's got some real heavy Romeo and Juliet vibes because, you know, Aragorn has lived a very unnaturally long life for a man up to this point. Um, you know, we'll find out, in this, especially in the extended editions of the film, it actually mentions his age in the Two Towers. I won't give it away now. Um, but on top of that, elves are have everlasting life. They don't die unless, obviously, they're killed. So, it's like, they have this weird Romeo Juliet type of deal where eventually, yeah, Aragorn's gonna die, but like she gives up her immortality, and then it's like we all both die together. It's like, I don't know, it's a bit talking about Arwen here, it's very, very strange. But like, he's, he's got too many ties to the elves for there not to be that, that, that level of, more ideal situation, maybe for the first generation of everyone, it would be, but if you do it that way. Eowyn's gonna die way before Aragorn because she's not part of any special race of men, so she's probably gonna die by back then. Age fifty is old, right? Like she's gonna die by fifty, and he's already much older than that. So it's like I don't know exactly how that works out, Uh, you know. But then you bring up the debate, like technically Aragorn was never supposed to be raised by elves, anyways. He got raised by elves because he basically like betrayed his own people in a way. He, it kind of like going to the Night's Watch almost. He just happened to be picked up by the right people. That's basically what he, he pulled a fucking Jon Snow out of nowhere, man. Um, so, and I, it's kind of funny. We're playing, we're like mentioning all these other uh, franchises in our genre, right? So I'm going to bring up another one Spider Man. <laughs> She's kind of like the Gwen Stacy that I think is going to take his eyes off the Mary Jane. <laughs> like, I think that's kind of what Eowyn is. But in an ideal situation, I think it would have formed like a massive alliance of power. But then, technically, you wonder whether we don't want to give anything away, like the destiny of the future of what's to come actually would have ever happened. So... Um, I just really think her role in this situation was always supposed to be like a Gwen Stacy, like someone to steal his attention. I for sure bit. think so too. I think that's like the purpose of it. my my the, the question of the debate was like if she if Arwen wasn't in the picture, like is that what would have happened? You know, do we think like like she would have been like the one and for him? And you know, that that's a good like she definitely had, was the. I, I look at. It, I'm a big love triangle guy. Love a good love triangle. Uh, so, you know, right? He, she at least even paused to think. Like, at least in what we read here, it could go deeper. I'm not gonna give anything away. Who knows? But point being is that uh, if Arn was in the picture, we might have a massive union of two major cities of Middle Earth. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken. It might happen anyways. Uh, I don't know if I'm making this up in my head or not, but I do believe 
Eowyn does end up with someone from Gondor eventually, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that alliance does kind of hold in its own. And we'll, we can talk about this, like, not on, on set, but uh, to see if we're on the same page, because I don't want to give that away unless I'm, again, just in case I'm wrong. But I do think Eowyn does end up with someone from Gondor at the end-all, be-all. Um, just on a side note, not to interrupt you, but why you're saying that, and I don't want to forget it, uh, in the film, it doesn't really go into this in the novel, but you almost get a sense of, like, when you find out Theoden's son died, mm-hmm. like she had sort of a relationship with his son by the way she was reacting at that funeral, which we haven't really gone there yet because we haven't done the differences. But you. That's kind of weird because they're cousins. Oh, uh, well, hey, Daenerys was all into it. So <laughs> hey, maybe, you never really maybe know, that man. was all the rage back then. You <laughs> that know? was all the rage back because, then. Because, yeah, yeah, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Theoden's sister is Eowyn's mother so that yeah they're like first cousins that's fucked up Theodrid and Eowyn would would have been first cousins those so. elves are all into it man that's what <laughs> he's the one going after Arwen so I'm just messing with who knows but that's where I think her role lies uh do I think it was probably more supposed to be that way uh, with Eowyn, I would say yes. It would have brought two major alliances of power, and it would have kept the elves, not that they were never at peace, but probably, I mean, you really would probably still have more of that traditional elven line of Elrond is kind of raising them the way to be more like uh, the ones in Lorthlorien. How do you say it? Lorthlorien. 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 That's it. You know, I'm terrible names. So yeah, that's just kind of my thoughts. I mean, who knows though? What about you? Yeah, I like. I, I think everything's meant to be as it was. Obviously, like, the the book was written for a reason. So she was meant to kind of be a distraction, take the eye off the off the prize, so to speak. You're on this. You're on. The, think about it from Aragorn's perspective too. You're on this journey that you don't know if you're going to make it out alive or dead you've already had a couple near-death experiences as it is like you know so why not kind of you know like when in rome right like like arwen (laughs) look arwen ain't there and you don't know if you're gonna you're going into this new battle now with rohan out of nowhere like you know you got kind of got roped into that by gandalf and i was like hey guys like we gotta go to rohan because they gotta fight off isengard so Hope that's cool to you. And Aragorn's like, well, shit, man. You you kind of rose from the dead, so I guess whatever you say goes. So, yeah, I'm down. And so, like, Aragorn's like, man, we went from, like, near-death experience to near-death experience near-death experience. Like, oh, there's a pretty girl. Like, yeah, maybe maybe I give her a little bit of attention. I don't know, yeah. man. Like, <laughs> look. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I think at the end of be all, though, it, she is a distraction. Um, you know, it just happens to be convenient for where he's at in the moment. I don't ever think that... He was going to choose Eowyn over Arwen, but I'm just thinking that if Arwen was out of the picture, didn't really kind of exist in a romantic sense in his life, that could have made sense for a like romantic partnership. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean that, that's pretty much all I got, man. Good stuff, man. Yeah, uh, you want to close us out for the day? Sounds like a plan to me. So you know, guys, if this is your first time joining us, uh, welcome. We hope you liked what you heard today and you want to stick around for a bit. And if you're kind of wondering how to do that, well, there's a couple different ways. We are on all forms of social media, so if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at 
official Ridiculous Patronos on Instagram, at Ridiculous Patronos on TikTok. We have a Facebook fan page, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We have a website, uh, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. We're on Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy. We're on Snapchat, at RP Factor Fantasy. So uh, give us the old follow, the like, the subscribe. Leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts, some star ratings on Spotify. We love all the interaction and engagement from our audience. Uh, and if you're wondering kind of where to where to listen to us, if you had, you know, let, let's say you have an iPhone, you can listen to us on iTunes, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts. If you got an Android, listen to us on Google Play, listen to us on Spotify. You can find us really wherever you get your podcasts. We're, we are on uh, Audible, we're on Amazon Music, we have a YouTube page, uh, ACAST, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Wherever you get your podcasts, Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy are there, but we are out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production chase and josh factor fantasy signing, signing off, off.